over and over again is live your life out loud in front of your kids, providing examples of what to do. And then when you fail, have conversations around that and share what not to do. Like literally be an incredible father. Welcome back to the show. Today, my guest is Scott Ramage. Scott is passionate about helping men become leaders in their homes and in their communities. And that's why he co-founded the Brotherhood of Fatherhood, a group for men to help each other step up and lead, do hard things, and never settle for good enough. Scott is also the host of the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast and the Stories That Sell podcast. He's been married for 26 years and has two teenage boys, Scott enjoys lifting weights, rucking, snowboarding, mountain biking, and traveling with his family. Scott also owns Media Machine, a company that provides media services, virtual assistance, and podcast production to small businesses and coaches. Scott is a productivity nerd and loves leveraging systems to get more done in less time. I met Scott through Hardbat's onboarding with Level Method, and we've continued to cross paths often in both positive and influential ways involving the podcast, business mentorship, and just mutual curiosities. Scott is an amazing human being, and I am honored to have him on the show. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Real quick before we dive into the episode, you probably heard about this podcast directly from someone else or saw it shared on social media. We can only grow, spread our message further, and keep bringing in awesome and amazing guests with your help. If you could take five seconds and hop on whatever podcast platform you're using and leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. On to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Derek. It's about time, huh? I know, man. For real. Yeah, I did. You know, you have been somebody that's like, you came into my life through onboarding me and my gym into level method. And I feel like ever since that time, every time you re-enter my life for any purpose, I'm like starting in the process of starting something new and awesome. And like, you contribute towards that in every great way possible. So like, I feel like you've just continued to like come back in every time I'm doing something cool. And like, I don't, there, there's, there's a reason for that, man. You're, you're a man of many skills. <laughs> well, that, that's pretty exciting. I, I should come into your life more often. So you have more exciting things happening. <laughs> yeah, apparently that's the formula. Right, right. Well, it's, it, yeah. It's, wow. It was what, four years ago, maybe longer, maybe five years ago. Okay. And, um, I, I remember working with you very, very vividly, you know, you, when you work with a lot of different business owners, gym owners at that time, uh, some set, some set themselves apart and you're just like, Oh, they kind of got their stuff together. And I know we're, we're no matter who's running business, there's always that other side where you feel like everything, nothing's in order. But, um, I remember it, I remember it really well. And it left a, a really awesome impression on my on my life. So I've been very happy to continue to be chatting with you and talking and connecting through new things. So it's, it's been really fun. 
Yeah, no, thank you for that. Well, you know, what's funny is I feel like you helped onboard me into level method and kind of helped facilitate somewhat of a mastermind group in that and and got me connected to other gym owners. And then you pretty much took off from there. Like, it feels like, you know, you, your time with level method had ended and you just like went on this tear of starting businesses and podcasts and doing so much amazing shit. Like talk to me about the last four years for you. Uh, it's been, it has been crazy. Uh, I absolutely loved working for level method and I kind of worked as an entrepreneur there. You know, they gave me a lot of leeway. I came in, they only had a few clients, a few, I think seven or eight. And they're like, Hey, let us show you the system. Now you can do sales. We're going to funnel all the sales calls to you. And then while you're at it, create the onboarding. And while you're at it, do all the customer service. And I was like, this is rad. Cause you know, eight clients, not bad. And, uh, when I left, I think there was 180 and a lot of those I had onboarded and, but, but being entrepreneurial for so long, it was, it was very invigorating and awesome working for them. And I, it was very fun, but they got to a place where, um, I felt that I had reached where they were going to get the most out of me. Like I had contributed. If I stayed, I literally felt like there, perhaps I was going to hold them back because at that point, there's not a lot of creating going on. You're, you're literally now just ex- executing functions that I put into place. And um, so my creative juices started f- flowing. I started a podcast and then that was literally a string of effects that led to my businesses right after that, that led my exit from level method, which was dabbling in the virtual assistant world, not dabbling. I guess I went all in and, um, and just, really into the podcast world, doing multiple podcasts and then turning into my VA agency turned into also a podcast production company. And then, um, it's taken, my VA agency's actually taken a few different turns and it's just been incredibly exciting. So yeah. And you know, I run men's events and do all sorts of stuff. So I do a lot. You're right. (laughs) You definitely do. So let's, I kind of want to go to the business route first, and then we can get into kind of the deeper conceptual existential kind of conversation following, because that's always the most fun. Um, So when it, as far as the business goes, I think, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the main reasons you got into this kind of the media machine VA approach was because you're somebody that spends a lot of time thinking about how not to spend a lot of your time, right? So like you are, you're in the productivity world. And I think there's, this has kind of like gotten a bad connotation, um, in some sense, because people are like, you'll waste your entire life trying to figure out how to be efficient. Whereas you could just like enjoy it. And I think that there is an element to that, but much in the same, especially when you get into the conversation with other business owners, there's obviously a benefit to systemizing your time so that you are spending your time on the highest leverage activities possible. And more importantly, on the things that really light you up as an individual. Um, Talk to me about why you started that business and what were some of the lessons you learned along the way? Oh yeah. I mean, first of all, I have to, I have to give a shout out to Nathan holiday from level method, uh, co-owner and founder of level method for teaching me about, you know, operating systems and creating like a personal operating system, getting super systemized and dialed in on my own personal life. And it does get a bad rap because you like always focusing on how do I be more efficient? How do I spend my time doing the highest level things? But that's because people fixate on that alone instead of 
instead of using it as a catalyst for creativity and having more fun. And um, there's a real danger in it. And I, I want to go there before I talk about my business. There's a real danger in it because what happened was I had learned this and I was working for Level Method. I'd also started a podcast and hired my own virtual assistant. And then I started hiring my virtual assistants out after I had three of them full time. And um, what I stopped and learned was, wow, all this systemization and efficiency I put into place basically was just backfilled with more work. So I kept creating more and more and more and more instead of creating more space in my life. And so that's really probably one of the reasons it gets a bad rep. I, rap, I had to stop and be like, whoa, Scott, something's got to give. Like you just keep filling all the space. You know, I had, I had 40 hours being filled with a VA on my own stuff. Then it became 80. Then it became 120. Well, I wasn't doing 120 hours a week of work prior to that. So I kept filling my bucket more and more. So basically what happened was I started the podcast and hired a VA because um, I was told it wouldn't work if I tried. And I understand why now. It's, it's an incredibly interesting um, art to get a virtual assistant and then to leverage them correctly and then to actually kind of build on that. And, and uh, that's really how the business was grown. I mean, I saw a need that was, wasn't being filled. I saw a lot of business owners really struggling putting the wrong people in the, right, in the wrong seats. And uh, so we just created this product of, hey, plug into our VA team, which at that point kept getting bigger and bigger, and we'll do this stuff for you. And so that's how, you know, the very first iteration of the business was born. It's, it's changed a lot since those days, just out of watching um, what works and what doesn't work as any business should. And so, um, yeah, and then I was off to the races and, and I did both level method and VAs for gyms as long as I could. And then of course it was like, Hey, <laughs> I, this isn't working. I'm, I'm doing too much. And, um, and like I said, you know, businesses are born out of necessity. My necessity was finding somebody to do some work for me. And then I saw the necessity of other business owners kind of struggling with some of the same situations. Yeah. And I think one of the words there that is best used to kind of highlight this, and, and I love to differentiate the difference between something like efficiency here and leverage. I think what we're talking about is less about time efficiency and more about time leverage, because at the end of the day, like, you can be as efficient with your time as humanly possible. In other words, like you have, you could have an assistant just like feeding you to do's and spend every waking minute you have throughout the day. Let's say you're, you're starting a business or, or launching something new and you're dedicating 16 hours to that pursuit. It's like, that's great. But if they're on low leverage activities, it's like, you're just spinning your wheels in the mud. Right. So a huge part of this, as you mentioned, is providing leverage. It's the ability to be able to scale by the way of capital or labor or some of these other levers that we can pull on. Um, so I think that that's that's a good way to differentiate it so that you're not just constantly like like you said, backfilling. Right. It's exactly what I do as an entrepreneur. You probably do it, too. <laughs> Off air before we got started, I was telling Scott how I, I dedicate my Fridays to being like wide open. And I'm like, okay, you're going to do whatever you feel like doing. And then it just ends up being work. Yep. 
work. It just, I think that what I, I, the reason I leave that open is that I want my creative mind to be the guide there and not my schedule. That's, and, and I'm the exact same way. They're so funny because when I first started what was then VAs for gyms, it's now Media Machine. When, when I first started, we were, we were telling people, we'll save you time. And it came back a little later. I had a few people like, you are not saving me any time. If anything, I'm working more. And I really took that personal. I'm like, well, are we causing more work for somebody? Like, no, we're not causing for more work for them. We're creating more space and they're filling it. So I had to change the, the whole marketing of like, no, you, you'll get more done because we as entrepreneurs just fill our time. We're, we're self-sabotaging in that way. And I do, I do the same thing on Fridays. I, my schedule really, I have like one schedule link that goes to Fridays. Other than that, you really can't get on my calendar Friday. But somehow every Friday is booked full. It's just because I put it there. Right. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with Dan Martell at all and some of his work. And he wrote, um, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Buy Back Your Time. And in one of them, he has kind of the four quadrants set up. And it's basically uh, what lights you up and then what provides you the most value, which in his case, he's talking about monetary value. But it's like if you can find or fulfill that quadrant as much as possible, like that in essence is how you are going to want to spend your days. Now, it doesn't mean that like you want to spend an hour in that quadrant and then just like sit twiddling your thumbs for the other 11 hours. Like if you if you are more of the entrepreneur mindset, business mindset, you're going to fill your day. It just happens to be with the stuff that you actually want to be doing. Yeah, that's that's so good. And there's a interesting scenario that happened. It was kind of trying to live the four hour work week. If you've read that book by Tim Ferriss and I tried that and I actually did it for probably six months, but here was the outcome. I would go mountain biking. I'd go hiking. I'd spend time with my family. I was doing all of these things. But when I stopped and looked back, I was actually kind of miserable. I loved it when I was actually mountain biking. I loved it when I was doing things, but what was happening on the other end is, uh, things weren't as fine tuned as they should be in business. And it ultimately led to kind of like, wow, I have to readjust business big time because this, I don't, this false, I think it's a false narrative about how you can live life. Now, I think it's possible, but for somebody who creates businesses, it's almost counterproductive. And um, it's just something that I, I noticed. I, I came away from that like six months of working, you know, five to 20 hours a week pretty miserable. I'd never, I mountain biked a ton. I spent, like I said, I spent a bunch of time with my family. I'd go shopping with my wife. I would do the things, but all in all, I wasn't feeling like I was contributing anymore to my business, which was ultimately incredibly stressful. Yeah. One of the things or ways that I like to break this down as a reframing is like to think about it from like experiential happiness versus remembered self-happiness. And so for instance, like from an experiential standpoint, having kids would make zero sense, right? Like they, they steal your time. Like they're, they're, they're incredibly, uh, you know, they, they take all of your energy from you when, when they're first born, you can't communicate with them. Like you have to giving your time and energy to be able to raise a kid, but it is in the remembered self perspective that you can look back and say like, my life is better for having had kids. So I think, you know, we can look at our time and the way we distribute it towards our businesses in the same light. It's like, sure, like 
it would be nice to be able to just spend four hours playing golf, an hour mountain biking and doing these things five days a week. But it is then after the six month time, when you look back where you go, yeah, like in moment to moment, some of that stuff was the meaning necessary to be able to look back on my life and feel like I have not wasted it. Exactly. Exactly. It was a really great lesson. It was, um, it was a hard lesson to learn financially and, you know, emotionally kind of going through that. And I just would really, really, I think the, the whole lesson behind this is if you're an entrepreneur, business owner or whatever, like don't search for whatever other people tell you you need to search for, you know, don't shoot for other people's goals. Cause that's ultimately what I did is someone said, Hey, you should be working less and enjoying life more. And, you know, I, I don't think there's harm in trying it, but you really should explore why you're trying it before you do and maybe not do six months of it. Just all in. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's, so I want to talk about the podcast a little bit. So, um, you know, you, you started the brotherhood of fatherhood podcast and, and obviously a part of it is in recognizing the blessings that come with fatherhood, but also in this mutual respect that is just like organically gained in the way that you connect with other fathers. Um, why do you think you wanted to start this podcast in the first place? Yeah, I was, I was really struggling to figure something out on my own. This is when I was working for Level Method. I really wanted my own thing. And I personally had gone through a journey of trying to find men to connect with. I'd relocated away from the people I knew my entire life, my, my circle. And I wasn't having luck locally for a myriad of reasons and par partially on me. And so I started listening to podcasts and I started listening to podcasts about masculinity and parenting and, you know, uh, being married and being a better business owner. And it, I just was spending a lot of time doing that. And I was looking for somebody to follow. And I kind of stopped one day. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I have never really followed people. I've used people as mentors and I've watched them, but being a follower has never really worked for me. It just causes me like this internal angst. And I was talking with Josh Price and I'm like, hey, like I want to create a group for men and, uh, and I don't know what it looks like, but I want to eventually do trips to get togethers. And he's, he was, he at this point says, hey, like you've helped me with my journey as being a dad tremendously. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, like big time. I'm like, okay. He's like, I think you should start something for fathers. I was like, okay. It was kind of like, it was interesting and it was, it was desirable, but I just wanted it to be man-based. I like, I was like fatherhood was incredibly, incredibly important to me. Um, and, but, but the next day he sent me a text. He said, brotherhood of fatherhood. And literally that's how it was born. The name like stuck in my head, got a logo ripped out like <laughs> right away, like super fast and um, plopped it down. And then I'm like, well, what am I going to do with this? So started a, a Facebook group and really the only content in the group was the name. And then a few posts that we were doing just about, Hey, you know, it's a place for men to come ask questions, be themselves. And we grew to like 2000 men in like a week and a half. I mean, it was just like, I couldn't even keep up. I was trying to like, you know, introduce that, welcome everybody and doing all the things. And, um, and then shortly after we started the podcast and then, you know, that fizzled out for him. And I just carried the torch for the last three years, three and a half years doing the podcast and largely around 
you know, the things that I'm interested, which are the most interesting to talk about, because those are the people I surround myself with, uh, business owners, gym owners, parents or fathers, uh, guys doing next level things. So I would interview anybody who had a story to tell. And over the time, it's been very focused on parenting, but also on business and how to be present with your family and how to do this thing called fatherhood, marriage, business owner, entrepreneur, provider, uh, fit person, and try and, and try and manage all of that and be excellent at all of that. So if you were to kind of put it in a nutshell now, it's turned to this podcast about, about just basically how to be the best human you can be as a man, which in my belief, and we could talk about this later, but in my belief, I talk a lot about marriage because I think my concept and my understanding and my what I understand is truth is that if you want to be the most epic dad, you got to be the best husband in the world because that's all going to just lay a foundation for, for being an amazing dad, because then you're modeling what it's like to be a good husband. You're modeling what it's like to be a good citizen. You're modeling leadership, you're modeling servanthood. And so that's kind of where it's, it's led to it's become more and more organic and just talking about whatever the guest wants to talk about, which has been awesome. You know, we dive deep into faith. We dive deep into uh, sometimes politics, eh, sort of try to keep away from too deep of politics. It was a little crazy time for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So we, it's, it's evolved over time, but now it's an absolute passion. I love it. I love just connecting with men. It's been an amazing way to keep in connection with people. Podcasting is the most incredible tool for business connections, um, networking, and building friendships. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you talk to, uh, back to your point about like being a good, not just being a good father, but being a good husband. Like if you talk to any psychotherapist, they're like, if you want to raise children with good values, the best thing you can do for them is be a solid representation of what a quality relationship should look like. And, and I, you know, it makes me think back to my childhood and listen, like every single one of us had parents that did good things and did bad things. And I think that we can, we can view, like, it's okay to separate things. You, it doesn't make someone a bad person because they've done one bad thing. Right. And like our parents were products of their parents where they picked some things that were good and then unfortunately carried some things that were bad, but it, you know, it puts us in this position to look back analytically and say, how did my parents' relationship affect me as a kid and in my emotional regulation and, and management as I got older? And what are the things that I don't want to pass on to my own kids? And much of them come by the way of a lack of conflict resolution, the inability to talk about money in front of the kids, the inability to talk about higher level goals in front of the kids, right? And it's like, these are the things that if we get really focused on in our marriage, we can do the hard work necessary to be the example just by living it, right? Rather than from a, the perspective of a preacher, like, like do this, don't do that. It's like, no, 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 just be the example, right? And I think if we fight hard to do that within our marriage, we'll have kids that will far exceed anything we were ever capable. All right. That's, you just basically summed up my, my strongest message outside of like exactly what you do to be an amazing husband. You just summed up the strongest message I'd say over and over and over again is live your life out loud in front of your kids, providing examples of what to do. And then when you fail, 
have conversations around that and share what not to do. Like literally to be an incredible father, you, you do the things that you would, you want your kids when they are adults doing that's, that's number one. So if you're yelling at your father, your, your wife, like expect that your daughter, you're having a daughter here really soon, expect that your daughter will search out a husband and be okay with a husband that yells at her. How does that make you feel, Derek? I mean, you'd be like, no, hell no. She's not marrying a guy who's going to yell at her. So then guess what? You shouldn't yell at your wife. If you want a guy who's going to serve her out of love, be a leader, not just, you know, it's not happy wife, happy life thing. This is actually servant leadership to the, to the absolute core then that's what you do for your wife and vice versa, the same for her. And we live this life out loud for our kids. My kids know uh, everything. When Kim and I are having an argument, we don't hide it. We don't like flaunt it, but we don't hide it. But afterwards we talk to our boys, like almost every time, Hey, we are humans. We have lived together for a really long time. We love each other. We were, we, love each other. We are never going to split up. That's like a covenant we've made together, but because we're humans, we disagree, but it does not affect our long-term relationship. And then if I said something stupid, which is very frequent, I literally tell them and, and I want to, I want to ask for forgiveness from you guys for modeling a behavior that is not okay. The way that I treated your mother in that moment was not okay. And so I do that over and over again until it feels natural because that is not natural for a man to do. Those are the types of things that we have to do. I also have conversations. My boys are older, so, you know, it, it's, it's different now. But I did this even young. This is intentional communication. And you, already, you already laid it out, so I think you're going to be incredibly successful if you can put that practice. That's the hard part. <laughs> and six months ago, I was struggling in business, just got hit. I mean, between the legs really hard. And I literally said to my boys, I'm like, hey, you guys know that being an entrepreneur is difficult. You both want to be an entrepreneur. You both want to start your own businesses. Like, I understand that. But you need to understand that everything rises and falls on me. And I made decisions a while back that have now led to a place where I'm not going to be able to pay us this month nearly as much as I can, which means we're going to be cinching everything down. I am 100% responsible for that. And I will get us out of this, but I need you to understand that my decisions dictated this situation that we're in right now. And so what did I do there? And I'm not trying to tout myself because this takes all, it, it's really hard to do. I told them where I messed up, how I was going to make it right. I took complete uh, responsibility for it, put push blame, because I could have pushed push blame on like four other people. Like the story unwinds, but ultimately it comes back to me. So I'm not even going to bring that up. And I'm going to let them know why there might be a little extra stress. I'm going to let them know why we might not eat out three times this week. We might not eat out at all this month. And then the, the beauty of that on the other side is I get to come back to them. I think in this situation, it was like three weeks later. I'm like, hey, guys, guess what? I don't know. I told you it's going to be a really hard month, but I just like tripled what I normally make in a month because I put my head down and focus. So you've seen me a little less. This is the outcome. So we're, we're in the right place. So living that the you're communicating out loud your life failures just as much as winnings and then expectations as well for them i let them know what the expectations are and something i really want to be clear about is when you raise your daughter 
really the mindset isn't I'm raising a, a child. The mindset, even as a baby, because what you're modeling matters, I'm raising a future successful adult. And what does that look like? Because if you tra raise a child, you're going to have a child when they're 23, 26, 38. And so you have to have that mindset of how am I preparing this little human to be uh, an, a contributing successful adult in, in our society. That's awesome. Now you, you've been married for 26 years, correct? And you have 27 in uh, July. Wow. And you have two teenage boys, 18 and 15. Yes, sir. Yeah. So what, you know, you're obviously incredibly wise now, and you've put a lot of these things into practice, even though you've mentioned how difficult they can be in application sometimes, even though we understand them conceptually and, and theoretically, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've picked up over the years? Wow. So the reason, um, one of the reasons I did the brotherhood of fatherhood was because as a young father, right when my firstborn, when I had my first child, I started my very first business and the, that's quite a long story, but basically I started a business as that was supposed to be a hobby that turned into a 3000 square, uh, square foot, uh, bike shop with five full-time employees. <laughs> and I was also teaching full-time. And so, um, I was literally working the hundred plus hours a week, not seeing my family. And so I had to learn that lesson the hard way, five years of that. Uh, and then at one point I was like, holy cow, what am I doing? Like, I don't even know my wife. I don't know my kids. I don't even know how to be a dad. I luckily I had that moment and, um, I literally decided to sell the business. Long story short, the buyer dropped out at the very last minute. I hadn't sold my inventory. So I incurred $350,000 of debt. I did that by choice. I could have kept the business open. It was actually thriving. I did that. And, um, because my wife, I saw a look in her eye when I said, I need to do something different. I need to give you guys more time. And I realized that instead of running, like we were kind of running parallel lives with just like a half a degree. And so I knew over time, we we're going to be super far apart and not the best friends that we'd always been. And here's the deal is that didn't lead to bliss. I mean, $350,000 in debt and, and making a statement, I'm not going to go into bankruptcy. I'm going to pay every single dollar off, which I have. Um, that creates a ton of friction in your marriage, in your personal life, in everything, right? I mean, it was not all rainbows and unicorns right after that. But the lesson I learned is this intentionality in what you do. I could have continued to build that business and been intentional with time I spent with my wife and kids and been fine. Absolutely. I just didn't have those skill sets. And I see this happening a lot with young men is they are chasing their career in the name of providing for their family, yet they're only providing financially. They're not providing emotionally or as a, as a guidance to their family or as a leader to their family. I was I was leading other people. I was leading in my business. I was leading in the school I was teaching in. I was doing all the right things while completely neglecting the leadership and servanthood of my family, which is so much higher on the hierarchy <laughs> than work and all the people in the community. And so the biggest lesson, one of the biggest things that I really talk a lot about is this intentionality and understanding that there is no balance in life. Being, if you're going to be a business owner or, or chase 
that ladder and move up the ladder in life, you're going to have to put in a lot of hours. But there are things that you can put into place so that as a young father, as a provider, you can come home and provide on the other end as well. And, and a lot of that wraps back into the productivity. It wraps back into like personal practices, physical practices, your mental and physical health, which we both are very passionate about. And um, though that's like this really the one of the biggest messages I like to tell people, tell guys is they get so wrapped up in the wrong thing. They think the more money they make, the happier their family is going to be. And that is an absolute fallacy. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a point to being able to contribute enough to where you have that financial freedom. You know, I, I do believe that, you know, you can get yourself to a point where you've accumulated enough wealth to where it provides you the opportunities and your family, the opportunities necessary to be growth mindset on their end. But to your point, there's a, there's a tipping point to that, right? And there's a point of diminishing returns to where you feel as though you Absolutely. And, you know, it's a really interesting, it's a, you, it's a really interesting process. So even me right now, I'm 49. So I am older. So I'm actually going to receive the word of wisdom because it's really hard for me to, but I'm much older than most of the people I work with. And I look back at the last six months of my life and I tell my, my family, Hey, like this has been a season of grind for me. And I've been working long hours and hard. And then um, I finally, got my systems in place. And then all of a sudden I'm freed up all this time. Cause I got other people leveraging other people to do all these things. But during that time, I don't think they felt friction because I would check out of my office and maybe check my email or respond to somebody, but it was really intentional the way I did it. So at the dinner table, we eat dinner together all the time. We're one of those families and I would suggest everybody be one of those families Leave the, leave the phone somewhere else. Don't check your email. If your watch has notifications, like I've turned off, I have, a, I have this nice Apple watch and I've turned off all notifications. I only use it for health tracking. And so like just little things make a big difference. It's not quant quantity usually, it's quality of time. And so if you can do the quality of time, you can work really hard. You can work long hours. You can uh, do the things that you need to do to provide financially, because there's going to be a time when you have to really put in the time and effort. You, you're going to have to, if you want to get ahead, but, but the last thing any man should do is come home and say, I've been working hard all day. I've made a lot of decisions. I'm not going to do that for my family. Sit down, plunk down in front of TV or whatever, or go into their game room or whatever it is like that. I'm vehemently against that. Like, no, your wife has probably been working really hard, whatever it is that she does. She's been making decisions all day long. Your kids have been in school being demanded to make decisions or whatever the case is. Like the whole family's experiences, dude. Like get over yourself and then figure out a way to derive energy from your family instead of thinking them as an energy suck. That's one big paradigm shift I think men really need to make is like coming home and serving my family is pulls energy from me. No, no, reframe that. And understand that it actually can give you energy and you'll get a second win. You'll end your day really happy and you'll be really fulfilled. And who the hell cares if you miss the football game? Like who cares? You can catch it on replays. 
You can feel all the glory of your team. You can connect your, your personality to it, whatever. But like it, that doesn't require two hours. It doesn't require sitting down, having a beer and completely checking out. I tell a lot of guys like, look, do you drive home from work? Yeah. How long does that take? 45 minutes. Great. You have 45 minutes of you time. Good for you. Then it's over. Like literally it's over. Now you're serving. And that's a hard shift, but guys that get it, get it. And they really like step into it and like, oh, this is right. Awesome. Like, yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I was with you until you mentioned the football game. Being a diehard Eagles fan, I'm like, listen, the family's going to have to understand. I'll pull them in. We can have quality time, but you're cheering with me. Uh, no, but it's, it's the guys that are doing fantasy football and watching every single game every day. It's like, dude, settle down or, or, you know, just to completely tune out. There's ways to draw your family into it and enjoy it as a family. It's a family activity. It's, it's a really easy example. Cause some guys completely tune out and then they're like against spending time with family. And it's, yeah, yeah. I, I knew, I knew that I knew you were a big Eagles fan. So <laughs> No, no, no. And, I, and, and I'm partially kidding here. I mean, it's, I think there's a lot of value in what you just said. And, and part of it comes by the way of just observing the, the need to not just look at your time at home as like, okay, well, we're, you know, it's time with the family. It's like, no, no, no. Like, it's time to connect with the family, which means not only that you need to be present and have the ability to shut work out of your mind, but also that you considered your energy expenditures throughout the day. So that you actually have something to offer. I mean, you did mention that it can give energy. And I do think there's some reciprocal nature to that for sure. But much in the same, like I have this conversation with people around their exercise routines, right? So it's like you have people that they, they love to compete in CrossFit, right? Or they love to compete in their sport of whatever it is. And that's fine, right? But as you get older and as you, your sport age or, or training age increases, it takes a greater toll on you mentally, physically, and psychologically. And it's like, you have to ask, how is that stealing energy and time away from your contributions at home? And if you show up and can't be the, the parent you want to be because you're exhausted from your training, it's like, well, you need to reconsider if that's serving you in the way that, that it, it needs to. And I think the same is true when you get into conversations around entrepreneur pursuits or, or, or starting a business or having a, a highly demanding career. Like you have to truly be allowing you to show up or not show up for your family yeah and on that on that same right guys are like well how am i supposed to do this and do my working out and you know do spend intentional time with my family and 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 i'm yeah yeah the struggle's real man like there's no doubt about it and if you're having to leave at 7 a.m to get to work and you're not getting home till five that's tough that's incredibly tough and that's where a value ladder comes into play, you know, and I talk about this a lot, like not just your values, but like, what's the top rung of your values. And then you make decisions based on that. Well, where does fitness fall? You need to get it done. And how are you going to still get that done? Well, what's below fitness? You gotta just cut that stuff out. There's, it's just a phase of life. It's a time in your life where you're going to have to cut something out. Maybe that's like, we're just going to beat up football. Maybe that's football. Maybe it's the pickup uh, basketball league you're in and you, you play three nights a week. That's fitness, but you um, maybe you either need to give up the gym or give up the basketball. I'm saying basketball is what I'm going to say. But, um, but you just got to like start to weed some stuff out. And then there's this other really important thing to think about. Quantity is not always equated to 
quality. If you're sitting around your family to just, and this is something I did after I shut down my bike shop. If you're sitting around your family, not quite sure what to do, twiddling your thumbs, like your brain's somewhere else and you're in social media, that's not quality time whatsoever. And so you have to like really kind of put away just being there as, as something that you're supposed to do. For sure. Yeah. And I think that in both of these scenarios, there is this no man's land that we can find ourselves in, right? Where when we're talking about the gym and training, it is, it is training that is in excess to the minimum effective dose, but isn't contributing to a larger goal. And then in, in work, it is, when am I, when is my brain shifting away from these high leverage activities to just busy work? Like when am I, when do I stop product? like the busy zone. And for me, like, like on the work side, I notice it when I'm just like opening up multiple tabs, when I'm like tab shifting, it's like my brain, like, it's like, like sputtering out going like, Oh, like one more task, you know? And I'm like, no, bro, like cut it off. This is it. Like you're done for the day. Yeah. That's a real shift for people. Um, I read a book, uh, by, Oh, I'm going to butcher it. I don't know, but it was, um, F your feelings. And I don't remember the, t the author, but he talked about the, the a great football analogies like, Hey, if every, any team could just get 3.3 yards per play, only 3.3 yards per play, they would score a touchdown down every time they had the ball. Like, you, you know, there's 0.1 you got to get still, but he's like, you got to look at your life and your business and your, your productivity, like a football game really literally look at each day. What is the 3.3 yard thing I've got to do? The rest is gravy. Just move the ball down the field, move the chains, and you will eventually get to the touchdown. And I think as business owners, this is something I've been really thinking about every morning. I'm like, okay, what, what's the 3.3 yard activity today? And then it, this happened yesterday and I got it done. And then things went crazy. Like my phone just started bing, 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 bing. My computer just started firing up. Everybody decided to get active at once. And I had to like realize, cause my son was coming in and he wants me to teach him how to drive with my stick. I have a standard transmission truck and he's like, let's go driving. I'm like, my, everything's going crazy. Everything's lighting up on my desk. I had to realize, Hey, I've made my 3.3 yards today. This stuff can all wait. And so when we set these little parameters in place and understand that do the highest value stuff first, and then all that low value stuff can be pushed or can be filled in when you have the time, it's much easier to walk away. And I do not regret walking away and spending that time with my son. I'm like all that stuff. Like literally I came back and whipped it out in like 10 minutes. Cause I wasn't responding in chaos. I was responding and now I'm in a peace of mind. I've fulfilled a, a obligation or actually something that I really wanted to do. It's fulfilled. Now sitting in front of my computer, like, oh, there's 15 notifications here. Five of them worked their way out. They pinged me back and said, no, no big deal. I figured it out, which is usually the case. And then the other 10 were like 15 minutes worth of work total. And I was done and cleared my brain and I was gone. And so we get into this one more tab mentality you talk about, and it totally sidelines us. It totally wrecks us. It just does me at least. If I kind of think like, oh, I just got to, I want to finish the to-do list. You know, and I've talked to you about this. My to-do list is very flexible. If it's not done on that day, if it wasn't one of the high order things, why well, just put it back in an inbox and come back later and see if it's even worth my time. So um, that, that's kind of how I've had to kind of work through this is that 3.3 yard, get the most important stuff done, make sure that I'm feeling accomplished for the day, even if it only took me an hour.
And that's, I think, how you and I can come back and win our Fridays is like, okay, I'm going to do that 3.3 yard. Everything else is gravy. But again, I derive energy from getting on phone calls, recording a podcast, all those things that I end up filling my Friday with anyway. So yeah, I mean, my Friday mornings, I think one of the things I really try to do is I'll write a question on a piece of paper that doesn't have like a single derivative answer. It's not a one plus one equals two sort of solution. It's something that is going to be multifactorial and something that I have to get a lot of things on a piece of paper and then come up with like a, 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 a bunch of different solutions to that I'll probably then have to go talk to people and bounce ideas off of. So that kind of helps me be in my, you know, creative playground, if you will, rather than in this like layered, you know, so why my psychotherapist call basically, he says like, there's two ways to attack problems. You can attack it like waffles one after the other, or you could attack it like spaghetti, look at all of it and then try to make a decision based on the contextualization of everything combined with one another. And that's, that's an interesting way to kind of like differentiate thinking patterns in this way. Yeah. Yeah, I think I need some of that work because I, I do, I'm really good at reflecting and I look back at my day and like, okay, where was the chaos in the day? Where was the, where was the tension? Like, where was the most friction and why did I create that? And why did I have that? Usually it's self-created. I mean, 99% of the time it's self-created. Even when it's an outside factor or customer's upset or, you know, they're saying, hey, uh, due to circumstances, I got to, got to move on from your service. That can create a ton of anxiety. Well, it really is in how we respond and how we how we internalize and and manage that in our brain. So it is it is still controllable. And so usually when I look back at the day and and I think of like oh where did I go right where did I go wrong it's usually um, when my brain creates chaos out of things. Yeah right. We what what is it? We suffer more in imagination than in reality. Mm, yeah, and I have quite the imagination. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I think it was Greg McCohen in his book, Effortless, talked about how we need to think about when we're performing tasks or projects or jobs, how, basically, if I'm contributing an, an hour's worth of work, could I recover in the next hour? If I'm contributing, co contributing a day's worth of work, could I contribute within one day? And in this way, we create this balance of constantly asking ourselves the question of like, what's the recovery period associated with the level of work that I am trying to accomplish. And I think, you know, some of us love to operate in like 90 day sprints, but even within that, there's some seasonality and some ways of ebbs and flows where like you have to value recovery because otherwise what you do is you put yourself into this mode where the only thing you can do is think frantically and about the single next thing that you need to do. And you can only contribute so much energy towards it. The only way you will ever be able to think creatively and outside of the box and like be able to think about larger concepts is to come off of a period of recovery where you weren't bogging yourself down with just trivial tasks one after the other. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And I, this is like an eternal, etern eternal pursuit, right? We can always get better. No one's arrived. I mean, even these people that read the book or write the books, I think half the time they're writing the books because they're still, trying to figure it out, right? I mean, if you've read The Gap in the Gain, and I will find myself really paying attention to The Gap a lot of times, like, ooh, I'm not here. And it's kind of that horizon effect. Like, if you look at the horizon and you started walking towards it, would you ever reach it? No. We, yeah. Can you tell them what about The Gap in the Gain? 
So The Gap and the Gain is an awesome book. Uh, Dan Sullivan, co-author, I believe. And I recommend listening to the audiobook because he has a conversation with the co-author that's really, really awesome in between every chapter. But it's talking about focusing on your gains as opposed to your gaps. And when we're gap-focused, we see what we haven't achieved. When we're gain-focused, we have we see what we have achieved, and it gives us a lot more joy and therefore, you know, really, really gives us a much better operating place. And so what I realized is that a lot of my life, I've been this horizon-based. I'm looking at the horizon like, oh, I want to be there. I want to get there. And I was, at a, I was at a conference once, and the lady got up front, and she said, I want you, every single one of you, to just think right now. What were your thoughts today as you're going through the trainings? You know, I'm talking about being successful. And she goes, were you thinking about future stuff? Were you living the future? Or were you living today? I was like, ooh. And she goes, I think a lot of you live all for the future and you don't ever live in the day and enjoy the day. And I ask myself this all the time because that's a really tough question. Like if I just get five more clients, I will have X, which will lead me to X, which will lead me to this. Instead of like, I have X amount of clients, which gives me this freedom, which is allowing me the opportunity to grow even more. And I'm going to spend, I am going to look at, back at my day and think, I am so grateful for being able to spend 35 minutes with my wife alone. I'm so grateful for being able to drive my kids to school. I'm so grateful for X, Y, and Z. And that's really something that I've had to work on, which has been really pivotal. And actually having this conversation right now is really pivotal in the way I've actually felt this week because I needed this reminder because I go right into that gap mindset very frequently. I mean, it's so, it's so tough because we all know the power of gratitude, right? Like when we experience it, whether it be just on a drive home or whether it's out of intention during a meditation session, or we, we find ourselves thinking about just how amazing it is that we have the house we have or the family we have or the health that we have, we know the power that it provides us in our ability to see the, the world through a lens that provides us this immense amount of value. I mean, I think the saying goes something like, if you focus on what you have, you'll, you'll, you'll get more than you want. And if you focus on what you want, you'll lose what you have. And there's so much truth to that. And there's also the really important message of gratitude needs to be really deeply felt. And so I've been working really hard on my gratitude practice for the last two years. And I actually do a gratitude walk every single morning and get, I have worked so hard on this where I get to the place where I am laughing out loud or, you know, smiling from ear to ear because I'm feeling it so deeply. But what has happened, I've noticed over time, now I do it at night. So now I'm doing two times because I'm like, okay, I need to ground, ground my day with it and, and bookmark my days with these, this gratitude. But what I found is it's really easy to compartmentalize. So I do it, then I get home and I get caught up. And so, you know, gratitude is an incredible, incredible practice. It's absolutely changed my life. I attribute that to a lot of the success I've had over the last eight months in my business. And it's just so easy to, this is the power, this is the thing we were talking about when we started, is there's a lot of negativity around productivity and, you know, morning practice and all these things. 
because it becomes rote. It becomes a, a regular practice. So for me, I don't want to ever have a day where I don't start with gratitude. Like it's so ingrained in me. I have, I have a long morning routine. I'm, I'm blessed to have that ability. And I've had to reframe my brain. It's like, Hey, like by 9am every morning, I've done more than most people will get done in a day. And, and I've had to like, learn to be like, really be rooted in that and be really happy and, and joyful about that, but then not turn off. It's like, I have this morning routine and then I step into the office and I'm like in totally different mode. You got to bring that through the day. And this is something I'm learning now. I've got to bring that gratitude throughout the day. I've got to bring it into my regular working practice so that I don't like step out of it and go, you know, two steps forward, three steps back in the day. And then two steps forward. I'm not, I'm making like one, one step forward gain a day in totality because I have that bookmark in and where I really just, Hey, I could be making eight steps forward every day if I just kept that gratitude in front of me. And so it's like an internal practice. And you know, it's, it's one of those things that is so incredibly powerful. Gratitude is so incredibly powerful. Uh, it just ha it cannot be wrote and it must be felt. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, and, and I don't, there's no one, it's funny because like there's certain things that there's two sides to, right? No one's sitting on the other, in the other camp here. There's not like, if you made a line in a room and you said, go to this side, if you believe gratitude is helpful, go to this side. If you think it's not, no one's going to the other side. We all know this, right? I think it's in, it's enforcing the ritual and in the practice. And, and it doesn't need to be this giant concerted effort, right? Like you're somebody that finds value in going for a walk and using it in application in that way. But like, you can do this in five seconds in your car, right? Like you can have these little, you know, blips of moments uh, occur and happen throughout the course of your day where you take five seconds to be grateful for the fact that like your commute to work is shorter than it used to be. Uh, you had the chance to eat breakfast with your kid in the morning. You had a chance to hug your wife as soon as she came in the door, you know, from, from work, whatever the case is, it's like, they, it doesn't have to be an hour long walk where you're like, I'm going to strategically think through these things. I would argue that it's better that it's not long. Like I got it so long. I was having a hard time stopping, but the, then the thing became, is like, I'm over grateful. I'm like saying so many things that are grateful that it's kind of washing it out. And so I had to really step back and be like, okay, I'm going to go on this walk. I'm going to fill the other time with other things. I'm going to really just think about the three things that I'm super grateful for. And they're going to be different every day. I'm going to work really hard on different ones every day. And that's been a big change for me because there is some psychology and behavioral psychology around gratitude and that you actually can, you'll get a lot more if it's not rote. And so actually doing it throughout the day, I think writing it down is incredibly powerful. Um, I have a spot in my phone where I, where I write it down. But um, I think that's probably more the key. And so be careful what you listen to as well, because that's something I learned from somebody else. And then I took it to the extreme. And now here I am backpedaling going, no, it became too rote. And I learned that from the gap in the gain. I started realizing, oh, like I focus so hard on gratitude in the morning, but it's not really moving the needle throughout the day. So how do I readjust that practice to um, implement this new gain mentality? Like, what have I gained? And so um, it's a really good point you brought. And I think a lot of people think you have to go to extremes. You know, I, they hear me, my, my morning routine is three hours. It includes a workout, but it's three hours. People are like, well, that's crazy. No one can do that. I'm like, yeah, I'm very lucky that I'm afforded to do that. 
I don't think anybody else should do my routine. I think they should figure their own out. And if it's 10 minutes, that's amazing. Like, and I think too often where we look at people and people tell us that the only answer is the answer that they have. This is something I also talk to uh, men about in their marriage. Like, you've got to find what works for you, but here's some core tenets, some pillars that you really should base what, how you, how you act from as a dad, as a husband, as a leader. These are your, your main tenets, servant leadership. I mean, like if you are not serving your wife and again, it's not happy wife, happy life thing. If you're not serving your, your wife, like what are you doing? Like think back to when you were dating her what did you do for her? You probably opened the door for her in your car. You opened the door at the restaurant. You took her plate back to the sink. You did all these things. Well, why did you do that? And why aren't you doing it now? Is it because you, you caught the fish and you're content now? Like, why does that behavior change? This is a question I ask men and they're like, well, I don't know. I'm like, I don't either. And you wonder why she doesn't want to be intimate with you. Like, dude, like you're a totally different guy than when you got married. So, you know, there's this, this, these challenges and tenants that I, I really focus everything on. So the tenant here is gratitude. It's not in how I do it. It's not in how guru A, B, or C says to do it. It's in what works for you. So go treat everything like a, like a science experiment. One variable at a time. This is like the theory of my life right now. Right now I'm doing um, glucose monitoring. So like I'm like, okay, I'm going to pop a glucose monitor on my arm. I'm going to eat something. I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to see what happens. And through this process of a month of doing this, I'm going to formulate a much better day that is more productive for my health, for my long-term health and my, my physique, how I feel. I'm going to monitor my sleep at the same time, but I like literally treat your marriage, like (laughs) your marriage, your parenting, everything. Don't get so rote like it's a science experiment, but understand that each variable is going to change things in a way. So try and change one variable at a time, perfect it and move on. It's just kind of like the, the habit stacking. Start with something you already do, add something to it and move forward. But that's how I treat life. You talked about moving the needle, right? And I think that that's a really good way to look at this because in order to be able to know what moves the needle, you have to define how you're measuring that, right? And and this is, in this way, it forces you to be to be like just intrinsically thoughtful, right? About what it is that you actually want out of life. What it is you actually want out of your marriage. What do you want out of raising your kids? What do you want out of your business? And in this way, you're not living by the way of somebody else's goals. You're not living by the way of what somebody else wants for their life. We can read all we want. We can listen to podcasts all we want. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the meetings you have with yourself and the meetings you have with the people that are around you and you care about to help define the terms that are going to help define what moves the needle for you. And in this way, you're not chasing the rabbit down the wrong hole. You're not climbing the ladder against the wrong wall. Yeah. I mean, and this is, this is so typical of our culture, right? New Year's Eve, New Year's Day comes, they start like 14 new patterns and then it fails and they attribute all the failure to everything. And instead of like measuring one thing and moving that needle, because something I'd say a lot right now is, um, what you're seeing in me, like let's say in my gratitude practice or in my, my business uh, as overnight success was a five-year journey. And we see everything through this lens of like, we see these big companies arrive, you know, come out of nowhere, or we see these people come out of nowhere. Or we see people really fit, like incredibly fit. 
what they're not showing, what you haven't seen is the incredible amount of work and system systemization they put into place to get to that point. Sure, there's viral stuff, but they won't last, right? Like this is this is stuff built on pillars. So I always look at this and tell guys, hey, like you look at my marriage, this is 25 years, 26 years of overnight success because I have an incredible marriage, like absolutely top notch. I know this for a fact, but here's the thing. I always have to work on it like hell every single day. I have to like stop and think, put the stupid phone down, slide it over. So my wife sees that I've slid it out of my way, look her in the eyes and ask her a question because what she needs is different than what I need. And I need to be tuned in on what she needs. That's taken me 20 over 20 years to figure that out. And so like, it comes back to this thing. You said wisdom, someone who's been through it. Like I'm really big on, you should have, a mentor of some sort in your life, whether you have to pay for it, you get it for free. There should be someone who is older, who's achieved the things you want to achieve in life and in their personal life. And you should latch yourself onto them. And sometimes a mentor doesn't even know they're mentoring you. Like I, uh, I don't remember, it might've been Ryan holiday who said, uh, like, look, one of my mentors has no clue. I basically read his blog every day. And that's a mentor to me. I've learned so much from his wisdom because I'm reading his blog. I'm intentional about following the things that he's saying because he is where I want to be when I'm his age. And so, um, you know, there's just so many things we can do to really grow intentionally. Intentionality is the key here. Yeah. One of, one of my favorite questions I ask my wife now is how can I love you today? Because it, it, it moves it from a noun to a verb and it also allows her to respond in a way that it just removes me from the equation of deciding how that needs to, to go down. If she says, I want to go to breakfast and have coffee with you, or I want to go for a walk in the park, or let's go to dinner tonight, or let's do a workout together. It's like that way, like I'm able to show up for her in the way that she needs and she can help be part of that definition. This is so good because one, you're allowing her to, even if you know her love languages, which you guys, if you haven't done love languages with your spouse, do it or your, whoever you're dating, but she, it allows her to tell you what's top on her list for that love language today. She might not be using it in those terminology, but she's going to tell you if you have an open, honest communication. Another thing guys do, and I teach a lot of men that really, really changes their relationship is when their wife comes to them in distress, which happens about once a day at least, <laughs> is not coming in as a fixer. This is something I'm going to repeat till I'm dead because it's such a big deal because we want to fix. When my wife, when my wife comes to me and she's like, ah, you know, she's a nutrition coach and she's like na nailing all these things down. I'm like, well, all you have to do is this, 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 and I'll see this glaze look on her. eye. I'm like, crap, she doesn't want me to solve the problem. So I've also, I've also learned, and I'm still working on this because it's a never ending process when she starts to, or when, when she, when I notice she's like crying or she looks really down, I'm like, Hey baby, some, I can tell something's not right. Um, how can I help you? How can I serve you? Sometimes it's just going and hugging her. But then when she's, she comes at me with a problem, you know, just, Hey Scott, blah, 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 and I'm like, Oh, I go into this mode. Instead I say, before we get any farther, is this an opportunity for me to listen? Or is this an opportunity for me to help you solve this problem? 99.9% <laughs> of the time she says, I just want you to listen. And I'm like, Oh, and it's hard. It's so hard because like we always say like you have to being a good listener is hard, but being a good listener when there's a so when your solution 
like oriented is incredibly hard. When someone's like, I have this problem and you're like, shut up and listen. It's so difficult. So hard, but there's a few, a few things you have to remember is the best conversation and the most, um, the most therapeutic conversation someone can have is when they're talking like 90% of the time they go away and like, Oh, I, that was the, I feel the most released. That was the best conversation. Derek, Derek and I had this super in-depth conversation. We go rewind back to that. Derek, you would have been talking less than 10% of the time. It would have been listening. And that's how people perceive a really good conversation. And so you have, Oh, Oh, I, I just need to listen. <laughs> it's really hard. Well, think about how much people pay a therapist to just listen to them talk for an hour. It's exactly, it's exactly the same thing. And then the other thing I want to give men who might be listening to this or women who are solution-based because we're, we're kind of genderizing, but it does go both ways is, uh, and I think, well, let me rewind. I think in typical, the norms are, this is a man, woman thing. I mean, this is pretty, pretty proven over time, but when I ask my wife, would you like me to solve, help you solve this or just listen? And she says, just listen. Another 99.9% .9 statistic is she comes back within hour, two hours next day. Okay, can you help me problem solve this? And then, so I've listened, I've heard the whole problem instead of jumping the connections. And now I can say, yes, I can. And that's really rewarding. That falls into the whole, you know, seek to understand first. Because once she believes that you truly understand the problem and how she feels about it, more importantly, then you can step up and be solution oriented. But if you just step in to be solution oriented without truly understanding the way she feels about the problem, it's like, she's going to cut you off. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, Hey, here you are <laughs> seven days, supposedly away from having your first baby where all of your solution based stuff is going to be serving your wife through and whether that means you know taking the baby in the night or in the morning so your wife can it, you're going into where you have to be the most selfless person you've ever been in your life i think you probably know this but it's like 10x it's insane and it's really hard you're like i didn't get to work out today this sucks we'll go do squats with the baby on you go go do a baby rock like like there's so many ways to solve this problem right so uh you're you're just about to head in right into the storm which is really exciting, man. I'm excited, scared, and in true entrepreneur fashion, started another business throughout this whole process. So it just, it is what it is. This is, um, this is it. This is, this is the thing I was talking about earlier. So when I, I started my first business, when I had my first son, like when he was uh, just a few months from being um, born, and through the hundreds and hundreds of men I've interviewed, so many of them start businesses when their baby is about to be born. It is, it, it's, it, I think it's an innate thing in, inside of us of like, if I create one more thing, I can provide that much better. And so it's, it's something we all do. And I don't think it's bad. I think it's just, you have to be aware of what that means moving forward is that it cannot consume you all, all consuming and you have to be put some real serious boundaries in place and that business will thrive over time because you're just making baby steps to, to building it. Yeah. I mean, we all have different investment vehicles and this is just the one that I feel the most comfortable with. So, uh, it was, uh, you know, as you would say, kind of a no brainer, but yeah, I appreciate it. Well, Hey Scott, this was a blast, man. 
I feel like we could have just kept jamming for, for a whole nother hour, but I know I have a couple hours of content to talk with you still. <laughs> well, Hey, maybe I'll jump on the brotherhood of fatherhood. Now, now that I, I check the box and met and meet the criteria. You do, you do. Yeah, no, I, we'd love to have you on there. We being me, I'd love to have you on there. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, I am really picky about who comes on there. Uh, I want guys that have the mindset like you have who've done the mental and emotional and, um, psychological work, behavioral work self-work to like articulate really what it takes to be a good man. I mean, you've already, you've already, you've already explained that. How can I love you today? Just saying that to your wife shows a, a maturity in emotional intimacy for her that is well beyond the level of most men. So congratulations on that. Now you really got to step it up. Yeah, now I got to deliver. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, it's, uh, as we mentioned earlier, it's an infinite game um, and one that we're constantly improving on. So I am far, far, far from perfect and I will never attain it. But um, if I can just make a step in the right direction every day, then hey, 3.3 yards. All right. Scott, tell everyone where they can uh, find out more about you. Yeah, uh, just follow me as Scott Ramage or Brotherhood of Fatherhood on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook, of course. Uh, I do have an incredible virtual assistant uh, company called Virtu or Media Machine Virtual Assistants. So that's vamediamachine.com. Uh, let me help you free up time in your life so that you can fill it with other things more important than more work. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, Scott, thanks so much for hopping on. Appreciate you, brother. If you feel like the gym is one big, confusing, and intimidating playground, a personalized coach from Hardbat Athletics can work with you remotely to help match your goals to an actionable plan. You'll get workout videos and descriptions and have access to coaching calls to make adjustments when you need them. Let us take the guesswork out of your fitness and nutrition. Visit www.hardbatathletics.com to chat with a coach today.